Mashiach now. Continuing with the 15th day of the Bain Hamaitrim series corresponding to the letter Summit. So this over the next couple of days is going to take a little bit of time to kind of develop this because the death of the Mashiach is a huge topic and there's so many different uh, sources that connect it uh, to the the two different Mashiachs. There is a Mashiach who descends from Yosef and a Mashiach who descends from David. Uh, this is why the uh, monumental encounter between Judah and Joseph and Genesis is such a, a big, big deal and a lot of beautiful commentary, especially from Orchard of Delights by Rabbi Trugman Shlita. So just to start on this conversation here, that the, the death of the Mashiach is actually talked about in Tractate Sanhedrin 96b through 96.7 and even further beyond that. But I want to get into the bar Nafli drop because Nafli comes from the word Nafal, which means literally to fall. And um, it actually is related to the word for miscarriage. And one of the interesting things, I think, is how this is connected to Nephilim. Because when you look at the Nephilim, Nafli would be a, a singular version of that, singular form of uh, Nephilim. So to not really get too deep into that, but I just think it's interesting that uh, the Mashiach is known as son of the fallen one. And more so because David is considered a fallen one. He's considered to be a miscarriage. And there's actually sources that talk about how David actually received his life uh, using Adam and the patriarchs. So that's another topic uh, to, to look into and things like that. So without further ado, Sanhedrin 96b, the Gemara begins a lengthy discussion about the Mashiach. So I want to point out that when we're talking about the Mashiach, when you're looking in the written text, you see no explicit mention of Mashiach. The only time you actually see the word Mashiach is for anointing the Kohen, and specifically Aharon and his sons. So when we talk about belief in the Mashiach, it's a very, very Jewish concept. It comes from the oral Torah which is the rest of the Torah that was handed down to Moshe on Mount Sinai. So when people speak about Mashiach and talk about needing to believe in him, it's very, very important to have everything go back to its foundation and back to its source. And I want to point out that there is no source that says believing in the Mashiach takes you away from the commandments or removes you away from the old testament as some people like to say and neither does believing in the mashiach change the sabbath that's a, a huge one because a lot of conjecture is put out that the reason why the sabbath is moved to sunday is due to the resurrection of the mashiach well 
you find that nowhere in any text that is connected to the Torah specifically, which is known as scripture, the word of God. And you find that nowhere coming from the mouth of Moshe, which is super important because remember, there's no prophet greater than Moshe. And as we have talked about so many different times throughout the studies, that Moshe's prophecy is on the highest level that any human could attain. So much so that he literally prophesies with the words, thus says Hashem. This is exactly what Hashem says, basically. And he doesn't have to uh, go into a trance. He doesn't have to go into a dream or a, a vision or uh, some kind of other form of communication to bring it down into a translation of prophesy. It's literally speaking with Hashem like, like you know, a friend speaks with their friend. So if you study Parsha Matot, uh, that is the first thing right out of the gate <laughs> uh, with that, that Torah portion, speaking about that. And when you get into Parsha Devarim and how Moshe spoke in first person, even, uh, he spoke in first person because it was as if Hashem himself was speaking. And not only that, but Moshe spoke in tongues. He spoke in the 70 known languages um, at that time. So all of the nations have a root within 70 nations. All the non-Jews trace back to 70 archetypal nations. So that's important because what that means is the Torah was meant to be heard, to be obeyed by all 70 nations by non-Jews as well as Jews. And this is where it's important to understand that there is no such thing as religion in definition in the Torah. The word is da'at, which means knowledge. So the whole world is supposed to be filled with the knowledge of Hashem, not a religion. So Hashem is not bound to a particular religion. This is why Judaism should not be seen as a religion because it actually isn't. When you start to get into it, it is multi-dimensional on so many levels. Uh, when you start to think about covenants, you start to think about nationality, you start to think about the language, you start to think about the culture. Uh, it goes way beyond, you know, uh, well, I identify as a Jew, so Therefore, that's my religion. That's my faith system, you know, and we go to synagogue on the Sabbath. Well, in Judaism, you actually find out we actually go to uh, synagogue uh, morning and afternoon and we pray together with a minion, which is a group of 10 or more men. And uh, there is a prayer service that we follow that correspond to temple to the temple service. So this is why it's important that in this time of the Bain HaMetzrim, we are actually yearning for that service to return, that which we're doing a shadow of right now. So it's not your typical run-of-the-mill, like, oh, you get together once a week, 
you uh, have about an hour and a half service, you sing some songs. Uh, no, it's, it's a much more integrated lifestyle and um, it's a completely different calendar, we might add. If you go back to the first episode of the series, I talked about how there's the three months that span over the four seasons and uh, they, they um, basically they go on the cycles of the moon and the sun and actually taking into the, the stars alignment in the constellations. So between intercalculating the rotation or the, uh, the, yeah, the orbits of the, the moon and the sun and the stars, uh, that's how you get the Jewish calendar. So it's a, a very uh, intricate and very in-depth thing. And only anticipating the, the return of the Mashiach and the temple and the, the service that we are doing, like I said, a shadow of right now, it's just, it's overwhelming to think about. And that's literally the, the power of these nine days is to let the overwhelmingness overtake us. Let our consciousness just immerse, submerse ourselves into the just mind-blowing reality that is to come. So to finish out this page of Sanhedrin 96b, here's what the footnote says. This topic, speaking of the Mashiach, is introduced here because the Gemara mentions below in 97a that a number of Torah scholars will diminish prior to the Mashiach's arrival. And it was stated above that a similar phenomenon occurred before Nebuchadnezzar conquered Yerushalayim. So, that's heavy because we're basically saying that the coming of the Mashiach was was juxtaposed and paralleled with the coming destruction of the temple when the Babylonians arrived. There was a, a diminishing of Torah scholars when those things happened. And again, this is another beautiful thing about the Midrash that we read about the temple being rebuilt during the month of Av. It's the ultimate tikkun, really, that as it was with the destruction, so it will be with the rebuilding. So and we have to have Mashiach here in order to have the temple. So that's that's saying a lot. <laughs> Uh, it goes on to say the Jewish people are protected in the merits of the righteous people among them. The temple was destroyed only after the righteous had died. Likewise, the era of travail preceding Mashiach's arrival, the era, era of travail, just say la on that, right? Because Mashiach tells us he who endures to the end will be saved. So, you know, when it really comes to how we're connected to Hashem and the, the guidance and the, the bracha and the merits that we have through the Mashiach, uh, it's going to be with a lot of pain and, and trials and travail 
Is this why he said, take heart, I've overcome the world. My peace I give to you, but not as the world gives. You know, you think about how he spoke with us before his departure. And it goes on to say, preceding the Mashiach's arrival, it will occur only when the number of righteous people has diminished. See the reef and Ain Yaakov. Yad Ramah links these two passages as follows. Having mentioned the end of the previous exile, see note 47, the Gemara asks, when will the Mashiach come and bring an end to the present exile? Men, that's the question we all want to know. So the Mashiach, the Jewish people will regain their independence when the Mashiach, a descendant of the royal family of David, reestablishes the Davidic dynasty over Israel. Kohator, by the way, brings down that the Mashiach ben Yosef comes before the Mashiach ben David to reestablish the throne, to lay the groundwork and the foundation for the reign of the Mashiach ben David. So really, when we talk about is Yeshua the lineage of David or not, well, he definitely fits the bill for Mashiach ben Yosef. So really, that's what we have to work with right now. Obviously, there's a lot more connections to the Mashiach ben David there. But that's important because the fact that the dynasty of David has to be reestablished. You know, the, the shoot from the stump of Yishai, basically, right? So the reestablishing of the dynasty of David will bring about an independence to the Jewish people. So we will no longer be subjugated to any other rule. You know, we won't have a crazy Knesset of uh, three different uh, faith systems, so to speak. Um, we won't have the, the crazy diplomatic uh, and all those things that are going on with peace treaties and borders and all those things. It, Israel will be its own in, entity. It will be independent, won't be ruled by anybody other than Mashiach. So that's amazing. So then to go on to... What it says here, under his leadership, the temple will be rebuilt, the Jews will return to Eretz Israel, and all the laws of the Torah will be restored to their former levels of observance. Quite so contrary to what is being taught about the Mashiach today. It's like, now the Mashiach's come, we're all sin-free, and then we ain't got to do nothing but believe and just, you know, that's it. And it's just kind of like, well, that's not anywhere in the text. So here in Rambam, he'll quote Malachim 11.1. It talks about the temple being rebuilt, returning to Eretz Israel, and all the laws of the Torah will be restored to their formal levels of observance. A sage wiser than Shlomo and a prophet whose greatness approaches that of Moshe, the messianic king, will teach the way of God to the world. He'll quote Teshuvah 9 too. He will inspire all humanity to worship God together. He'll quote Malachim 11, 4. 
in the messianic era there will be neither hunger nor war neither jealousy nor competition god will bestow such abundance that it will be possible to produce one's livelihood with minimal effort freed from worry and anxiety people will enjoy long lives rambam's introduction to chalik the occupation of the entire world will be solely that of acquiring knowledge of god so that's another drop from hillcote malachim in the same place belief in the coming of mashiach because that's important this is what it means to believe in the mashiach by the way it's to believe in his coming which by the way his coming is also the same as his return because the word yavo can be come or return. How do we know this? Because the Birkat Hamazon, Tehillim 126, Psalms 126, and the Grace After Meals talks about returning as a bearer of his sheaves. So we say that in the Birkat. And it says the books of the prophets are replete with references to the final redemption particularly Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Obadiah, Zechariah, and Rambam. So, oh, Sleeka, not. <laughs> I guess Rambam could be a prophet, but <laughs> not on the level of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Obadiah, Zechariah. So see Rambam on Sefer HaGeula chapter one. Such references are found in the Torah. So here's where we find Mashiach in the Torah. Deuteronomy 30, verses 1 through 10, and 32, verses 36 through 43. Again, you look in that passage, you see nothing about Yeshua. You see nothing about Moshe. You see nothing about Mashiach. But yet, those passages are what speak of him. This makes me think of Mashiach with those who were on the road to Emmaus. And he was speaking with them about himself from the law of Moses. So Mashiach was able to teach about who he is and who he, like, to teach everything about himself, basically, from the Torah portions. So many times... If you take away the Gospels, if you take away the letters, especially the letters of Paul, letters of Peter, letters of John, guess what? If you have the Torah portions, you can still learn about the Mashiach. So that's pretty intense and something to really ponder because... Again, this is how Yeshua taught about who he is. So as people who follow him and listen to his words and walk in his ways, we walk as he did, as John would say. Um, it probably is a good idea for us to get well acquainted with speaking about the Mashiach from the Torah portions and the Haftarah portions for sure. So, Selah, and may Hashem help us. It says, therefore, Rambam rules anyone who does not believe in him 
believe in the Mashiach or who does not look forward to his arrival, i.e. he loses hope. Chafetz Chaim in Zibisa Lishua, chapter 2, says, denies not only the other prophets, but also the Torah of Moshe, our teacher, because the Torah attests to him. What does the Mashiach say? Mashiach Yeshua, our rabbi, says, if you don't believe in Moshe, how can you believe in me? Because he wrote about me. That's how that connects. Belief in the Mashiach's arrival is one of the 13 principles of faith enumerated by Rambam in his introduction to this chapter. In the Siddur, this principle of faith is expressed thus. I believe with complete faith in the coming of the Mashiach. And even though he may delay, nevertheless, I long for him each day, hoping that he will come. Mashiach now.